0: and welcome back to the One Link Podcast. I am Brad and I'm joined as always by my co-host with the most, James. How are you doing today, James?
1: I'm great. I'm great. It's good to be here.
0: Well, we have a very special episode. This is our 100th podcast that we've made. Yeah. So congratulations to all. In honor of that, we have brought back a little blast from the past. One of the original founders of the one link podcast yes amy's on with us so amy welcome back to the podcast
2: i'm brad hi james thanks for having me on
1: i'm so glad you can make some time for us i am
0: super excited since i was with you back in the day my i told uh, you guys earlier my only fear is that we've gotten this audience used to james and i's you know gruff voices and now they're gonna hear your golden voice one of the best radio voices this podcast has ever had. so uh, hopefully people won't be discontent after this but it'll be a lot of fun to be with you again.
2: <laughs> yeah it's great great to be here with you all.
1: Hey so catch catch the audience up a little bit. What are you up to these days?
2: Yeah well, professionally I'm a professor. Uh, I work mm. with a local college teaching mass communications. And beyond that, I stay busy, as anyone who knows me will not be surprised to hear, but uh, stay busy. Uh, I'm building and investing in my marriage, in our church, and church family, and the people that God brings to us.
1: That's excellent. And are you still in Wichita?
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm still in Wichita.
1: Yeah, I was trying to remember back,
0: Amy, uh, when your last episode would have been probably 2021, any... I don't know if this was on the official question list, but I'm gonna ask anyways. Any memories from, from our days of podcasting together? Any great episodes or fun times had?
2: I loved podcasting from the closet, Brad. Uh that that was just a real special season of life.
0: Your setup seems a lot more spacious there, so I, I'm I'm guessing you're missing the uh close quarters here of the one link closet. <laughs>
2: you know it. But no, uh, it was it was definitely a special season. One episode that, that really stands out to me was uh, the first time that we interviewed an overseas partner. Uh, she had been home uh, on sabbatical um, and just had made time to squeeze into our closet three people instead of two. I think we had to take a couple stacks of of training boxes out, but she, she really took the time to uh, make a meaningful episode with us and Think one of the reasons she stands out is she talked about her her sh- just all the small faithful decisions that had added up to big faithful decisions um, and that was I think really impactful for me and for a number of people who I know who who heard that episode
0: yeah I remember that one that was a good one
1: mm-hmm. yes yeah that's ep- excellent I think it might be I'm looking back at our dashboard I think that was episode 28 if anyone wants to go Take a look at that. I think. If I'm wrong, you guys can correct me later, and I'll update that.
2: It it may have been.
0: <laughs> you don't you don't remember off the top of your you head any which episode that one, number uh, that. One.
2: I I feel like it might have been earlier in our our hmm. time, but um, maybe it was 28. Uh, We've well, found so many great people, and you all have kept that up in the years since then.
1: That's true. It said we had a special guest. Maybe we had a special guest again.
2: We've had many special guests. Oh,
1: indeed you have. They were
0: were all special, James.
1: (laughs) Every one of them. (sighs) Indeed, indeed, we do love our guests. So, what do you see God using you? What's He doing in your life? How's He using you right now?
2: Yeah, I I appreciate that question, James. You know, I think often we really don't see how God's at work uh, until after the fact. So, I look forward to looking back and finding out just how God has been at work. So ask me that same question a couple years from now, and I'll, I'll be able to answer with greater clarity uh, for this this season of life. But uh, I've really enjoyed the opportunity to meaningfully connect with college students uh, through my work. Uh, I get to mentor a few of them. Uh, I get to be a part of my colleagues' lives and my coworkers' lives. And I get to deeply invest in the this, this small group that I lead and really just wherever and however God brings opportunity my way.
0: Can't remember, Amy. Had you been? Had you gotten married before, or was since you were podcasting with us? It was kind of right around that time, wasn't it?
2: Yeah, I was. I was married a a number of months before our final or most recent episode together. I shouldn't say, Brad. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it wasn't that much. That much before that.
0: Well, as a fellow husband, I can say that you are working alongside the Lord and serving your husband. I know it.
2: (laughs) He is a blessing to me as well.
1: God, how are you doing with the nations? How are you praying for the nations these days? What's that look like in your life?
2: You know, we all get to build the kingdom and that's, that's really the beautiful thing about laboring together, isn't it? Uh, no matter the work that we're called to or where we're geographically located, we, we get to help. Uh, after all the United States is a nation too. Uh, uh, and none of us, none of us get to excuse ourselves, uh, from the work of bringing the gospel to the nations, uh, or sharing the gospel with people who are far from Christ. And God's brought a lot of opportunity to my husband and I in this area, uh, and we try to stay aware and, and be ready for each opportunity as it comes. Building genuine friendships with people, reaching out, uh, doing your work. And it takes a lot of work, though. You got to show up and uh, and be intentional and know where to show up. But that's the thing, though, isn't it? You don't, you don't have to look far for the nations, even in the United States. For example, there are. Conservatively speaking, probably dozens of nations represented within a square mile of where we fellowship. You just have to be aware. You have to know where to show up. You have to be willing to show up, and then you have to actually show up. Uh, so it looks different uh, in different seasons of life, but it's all really the same same work, uh, just doing the work of reaching out and building relationships.
1: That's true. And glad you're doing it. It's always interesting as God takes us through different seasons where you get to focus mm-hmm. and being faithful where he, where he has you and what's in front of you. As a fellow podcaster, what would you like to, anything you'd like to hear coming up on the One Link Podcast? We're always looking for great ideas.
2: You know, that's that's such a good uh, question, James and, and Brad, you both. Um, you know, and as I've thought uh, about this and thought about conversations that I've had with with women over the years, you know, some things really come up. Uh, post-college life can be hard, and it can be even harder To know how to live intentionally uh when you are outside the structure of of the college life or the college ministry life and then it gets even harder right the older you you are and the more you get into the cares and troubles of life and keeping a missions perspective once you get into the i don't want to say real world but i think we we know what we mean by that but the the unstructured uh you are completely responsible for your life world it gets hard. It gets hard to live with intentionality, gets hard to live with a missions perspective. And as I've said, I've had many, many conversations with women over the years about exactly that difficulty. And really any content on on that topic, keeping intentionality, keeping perspective, keeping a missions mindset, I'm confident would be a
1: blessing to many. Yeah, that's good. We will keep that in mind, and if you have somebody that comes to mind, I have one in in the back of my head that I need to ask to come on. But if you have somebody else, you can let us know, and we can see about getting them on the podcast.
2: Absolutely.
0: Sorry, it's probably also worth mentioning, James, Amy, and her husband, and and myself, and my wife. We all serve on a kind of an M care team in our church, hmm. uh, and that's been a really cool way for one for us to stay connected to to Amy, but also. To from the states to continue to advocate for our people overseas and pray for them. So that's been kind of a cool intersection recently.
1: And that really is a great one. I feel like sometimes, a lot of times people care when missionaries come back, but they just don't know how to care. And they don't Mm -hmm. know how to pastor them while they're home, shepherd them, love on them, care on them. So glad to hear you guys are doing that. Been a pleasure
2: for sure.
0: Well, Amy, thank you for, I I don't know how many of those hundred, it's probably in the thirties or forties, maybe maybe James knows, 38 of the (laughs) hundred. 39 now. You are representing almost 40% of our podcast. So we're grateful for you. It was fun with you in the day and you are missed around here.
2: I miss you all. um, Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Look forward to continuing to collaborate in whatever ways the Lord provides.
2: Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. Awesome. Thanks, Amy.
2: Thank you all.
0: Well, so fun to visit with Amy and uh, brings back a lot of brings back a lot of fun memories of launching this podcast. And one of the first things we did was talk about sort of missions, history, and people that had gone out and really sacrificed a lot. And so we thought it would be appropriate for our hundredth episode to revisit the life of one of probably both of our heroes. So who are we going to talk about today, James? Why don't you intro it?
1: Today, we're going to talk about one of the first first guys ever sent out from America. His name was Adoniram Judson. And boy, did he have a life. I just finished the book, To the Golden Shore. If you haven't read that, that's definitely, I think, in the, it's definitely in the top 10 missions books you ought to ever read. Might be top five. Had a huge, huge influence. Really, if you want to trace all of all of modern American mission history, his life played a huge role in that. So we'll flesh out some of that. Let me just jump in with his story.
0: It's probably worth mentioning, you know, you said one of the first. I think as these things are reckoned, you know, someone intentionally being sent out by a mission board with this this sort of purpose of you know doing what Judson did, he gets the mark for that. There was a man years before this, you know, decades before Judson, uh, named George Lyle, who was a former slave. And this is during kind of American Revolution times and feared being re enslaved after the revolution. And so he went from the States to uh, somewhere in the Caribbean with sort of the intention of starting a church there. So some people look to him as the first person that was. maybe if not sent out, went out at least Mm -hmm. purposes of church planting and and evangelism, things like that. So, but in in terms of the organized efforts, you know, kind of missions boards starting to come together and groups saying, Hey, we're going to cooperate to send someone out. I I think Judson's right up there. So this this is a, a really key story of thinking about American missions.
1: Yeah, maybe if we could find a good story on George Lyle, maybe I'll read that, and uh, we can bring him to the podcast later, which would be—
0: That would be interesting, yeah.
1: —excellent to do. Um, So Adoniram uh, came from a, quote-unquote, a good family. His father was a congregationalist minister. He's described as like a very stern man, a very firm man, and I think that actually led to a number of uh, church conflicts and maybe being invited to leave some places— he was he was uncompromising in his belief, and sometimes that caused a little bit of friction. So, growing up, he he you know he grew up in a in a Christian home, and he had this belief. His dad, his father, kind of had this thought: this like I've given up a lot. You know, I'm not ever going to be this great man or this even this pastor of a huge church. But he really believed, and he really put it into Adoniram: like you're going to grow up and be a great man. And Adoniram was born in 1788. So we talk about the American Revolution. It was not. Too long after that, that's kind of just got settled, he gets gets born. And he was super smart. <laughs> he was gets, super gets smart, born, Brad. Huh? Better than me, better than me, believe it or not. Super um, smart
0: getting born, huh?
1: That's right. That's right. Uh, they say he learned to read at the age of three. And just all through his early childhood, you see him really picking up intellectually, was very smart. And this this continued to stoke his father's ambitions that he was going to grow up and be a great man. Uh, He went to college at Brown University. It it wasn't called Brown at the time, but um, that's what it became. And uh, his dad wanted him to go there because of its better theology. He didn't want him to go to Harvard or one of those places that had slipped into poor theology. His dad went to Yale. So these were like common, you know, theological college names in the day. He goes to Brown, and at Brown he becomes friends with a man named Jacob Eames, and Jacob Eames is a deist which if you don't know what deism is, if you define it, you could say basically they reject all revealed religion. And so like the Bible, the New Testament old, they're no less, they're no less sacred than the worlds of Muhammad and Buddha are considered to be sacred by their followers. They admit there's a existence of a personal God, but that's kind of it. Like he started the world, he put it in motion and then he just kind of left it to us. And so, the longer he's around Jacob, he just clicks with Jacob. And Jacob has all these great, great ways of thinking. And he becomes a deist himself and begins as he's thinking about greatness, you know, of like how he's going to become great, how he's going to make his mark in the world. He doesn't tell his parents. He knows that would be be a no-go.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. Sorry, I'm I'm jumping in. You, you were kind of continuing past the deism thing. But I think a lot of times we think of these these earlier periods kind of founding fathers era that you know everyone was godly and there were no temptations to walk away from the lord like there are now but of course the enemy was just as active back then and and so these sort of religious but not really on the path of jesus kind of things i think threw a lot of people off in that era and and these a lot of these colleges you're referring to uh, were hotbeds of you know kind of this thinking that was not biblical. So uh, there's there's temptations to draw us away. So thankfully, yeah, we'll as we'll hear the Lord stuck with Adoniram.
1: Yeah, he did. In fact, uh, although not without some trials, um, he graduates. He starts teaching. He writes some grammar books, and pretty quick he gets tired of that. It's just it's not very fulfilling. And so, you know, his parents are trying to push him. Towards maybe a big congregation somewhere, towards something something big, and finally he just he just tells them, "Hey, like I'm I'm a deist. I don't believe what you believe. Uh, in fact, I'm I'm going to New York. I want to get out of this area. I want to go see go see the see the world, see the wildlife. And you know, New York City was viewed as like the <laughs> it was the sin city of its day for people from New England where he was from. It was the big city. They had things like the theater there that were really bad." And so, you know, his parents are just shocked, they're horrified, horrified. And his father, you know, his mom and sister, they try to cry him cry him back to repentance. Their tears don't do it. His dad tries to argue him out of it, but what he finds is that Adoniram basically just runs circles around him. Any any argument his dad puts up, Adoniram has a better argument of why that's not true. I mean, he was when we say that Adoniram was smart, he was smart and when he was going in the wrong direction, it was it was going that way, too. He wasn't just going to be argued out by like petty ideas or silly religious things that didn't have meat to him, which probably should be a little convicting to us as well. So he goes off to this trip to New York, finds out he gets to New York. He's a guy without a name, no connections, can't really break into that world. He falls in with a bunch, bunch of actors, wanders around with them, kind of trying to make ends meet. But for, what they mostly do is they just run up bills at places, and then they leave without paying. So he does this about six weeks, kind of gets disgusted, and he's heading home, not sure what to do with his life. Okay, he's like, clearly that wasn't it. I still want to be a great man. I want to leave my mark on the world. I'm still a deist. He's on his way back home. He stops at an inn. He gets there late at night. He's like, hey, do you guys have a room? And they're like, well, we, we have... One room. That's kind of one of the, these markers in his life. We have one room, but it's beside this, this young man who's dying. So, you know, I don't know how you'll sleep, what they'll be like. Adam and like, I don't care. It's no big deal. You know, death was was pretty normal in New England at that time. At any point in time, someone could get sick of anything and they just didn't have the medical stuff. So death was pretty common and he's not, he's not too worried about it. And so he gets to his room, but he doesn't sleep. You know, like all night long, he can hear these, these like soft groans and this heavy breathing of the guy next door. And, and in the dark, he starts thinking, he's like, is the guy, the guy next door that's dying, is he ready to die? Is he prepared to die? And then that makes Adoniram start thinking about his own life. You know, like, am I prepared to die? What's going on with my life? And his, his newfound faith in deism is kind of weakened through the night, but he gets through the night, the sun comes up in the morning. The new bright light. He's kind of like he—he's kind of like, man, that was that was so silly of me. I can't believe I was starting to doubt. Goes downstairs, goes to settle the bill, and you know he just happens to ask, hey, by the way, you know how the how's the guy next door? And the proprietor said, "Uh, he's dead. And he's just is making conversation. He happens to ask, he's like, do do you know who he was? And the guy says, yeah, he was from Providence, Rhode Island. His name was Jacob Eames. Mm. and Adoniram is wow. shocked. Yeah, you know, all night long he's been sitting in the room next door to his friend who has told him and convinced him that there that there isn't a God that loves and cares for you, that following Jesus isn't right, like all of those things, and and Adoniram knows Jacobines was not ready to die.
0: Mm. Yeah, it's amazing, the Lord. You know, obviously you could say, oh, it's just a coincidence, but you know certainly we know that the lord was sovereignly guiding steps towards that so it's a pretty it would be a pretty amazing coincidence wouldn't yeah, it yeah
1: there would be there'd be no no way for that to uh, all come about so this sends and iron back home he's really starting to work through things and his dad gets him entrance into a seminary of sorts he connects him to some really brilliant men he's kind of like he gets an exception to go to the seminary because at this time he's not, he's not heading into ministry and he doesn't even know if he's, if he believes, but they agree to allow him to, to come. And one thing about Adoniram is whenever he would take a hold of something, he would take hold of it with like all his heart and all his mind. And so he really, really dives in, starts studying through this comes to really a, a true faith and a firm faith and begins to, you know, really begins to pursue the Lord
0: yeah, it seems it seems interesting. You know, a lot of these we've done a number of these biography sessions here on the One Thing Podcast, and a lot of the these you know Lottie Moons and Adniram Judson, these people they were pretty hard headed, hard hearted. You know, either atheists or deists, or they just weren't the most likely candidates to be these really paradigm shifting you know people that would go out there to the nations. So it's, it's just cool how the Lord likes to get a hold of the unlikely people and change their hearts. I think in my own experience, too, I was mm. not, uh, you know, growing up, I was, uh, as a teenager, I was an uh, atheist and really believed that there was no God. And then God got a hold of me. So it, it's cool how God works in that way.
1: Yeah, it definitely is. And God continued to work at him in college. This is where he really uh, began to get interested had his heart stirred for the nations. He was reading stories about the Carries who were in India, you know, some other people who were in Canton or China, you know, men that would receive death if the government knew what they were really doing there. So there's a, a group of students that become interested, and in, and the long story short is through through a lot of different meetings, a lot of time, um, a short jail time in France for Adoniram, uh, they finally get appointed as missionaries, like the first. Like we're gonna, we formed a board. We're going to send out this this first group of missionaries and they're going over towards India it's during this period of time. He falls in love uh, with a girl named Anne that everybody calls Nancy. He writes this really awesome letter to his future father-in-law to see if he can marry his daughter. Uh, if you're a single man out there, take note. This is the way you propose or you uh, ask for a girl's hand. He says this. I have now to ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring to see her no more in this world whether you can consent to her departure to a heathen land and to her and, sub, and her subjection to the hardships and sufferings of a missionary life whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean to the fatal influence of the southern climate of india to every kind of want and distress to degradation insult persecution and perhaps a violent death can you consent to all this for the sake of him who left his heavenly home and died for her and for you for the sake of perishing immortal souls for the sake of Zion and the glory of God. Can you consent to all this in hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory with a crown of righteousness brightened by the acclamations of praise which shall resound to her savior from to her savior from heathen heathen saved through her means from eternal woe and despair?
0: Hmm.
1: And amazingly <laughs> awesome. her Yeah. Amazingly her father consents. And she has a she has an interesting story as well. She didn't come to faith until probably in her high school before it Really starts to settle in so in 1812 he and nancy and this other group of people they leave for india it's hard to imagine brad or i think it's hard to capture just really how much excitement and emotion like by the time this all gets stirred up the church in america uh specifically the congregationalists of which he's a part they they have you know like there's all these commissioning services and momentous things and for a while he was like we don't know if we have have money to send you which is how he ultimately ended up in jail in france trying to solve that problem but at the end you're like lots of money is raised people are so excited so on february 19th 1812 adoniram and his wife of two weeks they've been married two weeks and they're (laughs) they get on a ship heading for (laughs) india um, along with that's the a honeymoon. Who, now that that's, that's the way to do
0: a real honeymoon, right?
1: That's the way to do a honeymoon. That's right.
0: <laughs> 19th century ship voyage. Woo.
1: Yeah, that's right. Another guy named Luther Rice, uh, who would wind up also a new England guy who would wind up spending most of his time ultimately in America back raising funds and really catalyzing missions in America, sail with them. And then Samuel and Harriet Newell, they all sail away. And if you'll remember From your history there's a war of 1812 so this is like the last ship out of the harbor they get on it they settle settle four months later they arrive in india just crazy Mm -hmm. they get to india you know they meet up with the carries they have all these problems in india due to the british east indies trading company it's often funny how many times we see in mission work where it's like the Christian nation, you know, and it's like it's their company that keeps them out or it's the embassy, actually the US embassy that kicks you out of the country, not the not the heathen gov- government. So they they go back and forth having all these problems and it's hard for us to imagine really just how how remote they are, how cut off they are. On the way over, uh Judson starts looking into baptism because congregationalists were infant uh, Baptist sprinklers and uh, on the way across. And he finally settles by the time he gets there. He's like, I, I don't think that's what the Bible teaches. And, and so I'm a Baptist.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: So due to Judson be- becoming a Baptist and just all the trouble, they can't, they can't settle in India at that point in time. Like everybody's saying like Burma is impossible. William Carey's son, is in Burma, but he's married to a Burmese lady, I believe. And even there, his work is being really hard. No one else has been able to last there. So they, they try all kinds of stuff. They, some of their party sells out to some islands off Africa and wind up working there. And it actually takes them another year or two before they reach Burma. So like when we think about traveling or we think about our summer teams and it's like, yeah. And in 24 hours, you'll be on the other side of the world it's it's months and it's years, and you know when they became Baptists, they write the American Baptists, and they're like, "Hey, by the way, we're Baptists now. How would you like to us to be your missionaries?" And it takes them like two years to get an answer back. Think about that. <laughs> like, like you're so cut off, and if and if one party sails away, you don't know where they are, when they are, and it might be months before you know. If they're coming back or they kill, what happens to them? Um, it was just, as I was reading through that, it just struck again and again, really, how easy I have it. And he, sometimes even Hudson Taylor, who had all these hard times, I'm like, man, I, I think Hudson had it better than they did because of how cut off they were.
0: Yeah, I feel like, wasn't it uh, Luther Rice? was one of maybe, no, maybe it was the other gentleman that was with them that was really, really sick and had to go home. And for years, I don't think he knew whether he survived, made it back. Yeah. Uh survived his illness.
1: Yeah, that was Luther Rice. Which yeah. we've
0: we've been to his house. You remember that yes. when we were in New England? Yes. We, or we we walked past it, I suppose.
1: Yes. Yes, exactly. Um yeah. And there was another one from their party too that he runs into years later that he finds out is thought was dead is still alive. So they they finally make it to Burma. They start learning the language. They really dive into that. Iram already knew Latin, Greek, and Hebrew. Uh, he, was, he was the one sharp cookie. Um, and they spend 12 hours a day learning the language. Eventually, they get some teammates. They get a printing press sent over. And they print all this literature. And they, they just have interesting, interesting conversations, but no real interest. It takes them years to, to get their first converts. In fact, it, it took them 12 years to get their first 18 people. They believe in Burma was heavily Buddhist and the emperor required you to be Buddhist and you didn't have a choice in that. And you could face death if you weren't. And so one thing I admire about Adoniram is he wasn't going to let him like just sort of confess like you either had to be all in or all out. And it took some of the people who later became believers. It took them a while as they wrestled through that he was also completely at the mercy of the local government and even more so the national, like there was no embassy. He had no rights. They were truly putting themselves in the hand of God. And they eventually Judson winds up being pretty well connected. He gets along. Okay. With the local governor. Sometimes he has to pay fees. He doesn't think he should. And eventually he even goes up to the emperor uh, who they, they they say, I'm going to, you know, make a request at the golden feet. And the emperor was, you know, the, the golden everything. And he has his thoughts like, man, if I can get to the emperor, if the emperor will say, it's okay for us to proselytize here, then all will be well. And uh, the emperor doesn't. And so then it kind of turns out to be worse for them than better for them. And for a guy that was just toiling away, trying to figure out this whole new missions thing, He did a lot of things good. I think that reliance or that thought on like, man, if I can just get the emperor to say, yes, that'll solve all my problems. That might've been a miscalculation on his part, tempting, but a miscalculation.
0: Kind of in the, in the world of missions, there's sort of that, that split that often happens over, are you going to be kind of covert or are you going to be, let's, you know, try to go in and get all the permissions. So I think, it's just interesting to see that was already going on. Didn't work well. <laughs> he tried to get all the permissions.
1: No, it didn't. In 1824, so he'd have been here 12 years, there's a war between England and Burma. Uh, England's running India and Bangladesh, and they get some scrapes with Burma. And England doesn't want a war right then because of some other stuff they're dealing with. Uh, Burma takes this as a weakness, and they're like, we're going to throw them out. And so they more or less, they arrest all foreign men. Adoniram is like, Hey, I'm an American. I'm not, I'm not England. They're like, I don't care. You know, like you're white, uh, you're going to prison and they arrest them and they, they take them to a place called the death prison because mostly everyone that went there died. Anne and in their Nancy and their new baby, she basically spends the next year and a half. She's like running back and forth, going to the governor, pleading with the governor to let her bring food, to take them in better conditions, and Over the process of a long period of time, the governor does get one over to her side and even maybe takes a couple of risks to try to keep Adoniram from getting killed and the other prisoners from getting killed. But it was a cruel experience. They would would fetter up their feet, run a chain between them, and then at night they would run this pole between all the prisoners' feet and they would hoist this up so that you would be sleeping with your feet up in the air and maybe like just your shoulders and your chest on the ground. And that's how you would sleep. Sleep during the night. And it was just this horrid, horrid experience. Eventually, they get transferred out of there, uh, taken to another prison farther away, lots of stress. Nancy and uh, one of the other guys, he's actually an Englishman that went there for business, made a lot of money, but it was uh, against the law to take that money out of Burma. And so he had stuck around trying to figure out how to do that, winds up getting caught up, but he had a cook that did a lot of work for them, would bring them food, was helping Nancy. Eventually Britain wins and they get released and they have this, this sweet moment where England invites, you know, the, their emissaries to come down to, to parlay with them. And they throw this nice banquet and then they take Nancy and she sits like right at the right hand of the most powerful guy in the British army at the time, you know, right in front of, and all the, the Burmese people that are there, they're like, Oh, we're dying. We are going to die. And of course, that, that doesn't happen. But it was this little moment of like, after you treated us so poorly and treated us so poorly, and here uh, we are were, we were having mercy or as a person. I don't know that Britain had mercy on him, but the Judsons did. Unfortunately, uh, Nancy dies pretty soon after that due to all the stress. So Adoniram gets hired by kind of by the crown, the emperor and the British, probably by the British at this point in time, because there's, there's just not very many people that speak both languages and they can work out a treaty. So he's away doing that. Nancy dies. And it's like three weeks after she's been buried, he gets the letter. It's like, hey, your, your bride's dead and buried. Their child dies soon afterward. Nancy gave birth to three children uh, during her life and she lost three children. Mm-hmm. And Adam Iron just goes into a tailspin. I think trying to to work out his own worth, maybe to work out his salvation, just trying to hang on to sanity. Uh, it gets so bad that he goes out and digs a grave and stays and just lays beside it, lays in it, sits beside it. The local church says the fact that he lived through that with all the tigers around is a little bit of a miracle.
0: Yeah, and they didn't call up member care to uh, come assess the situation. I mean, these were these were pioneering days.
1: Yeah, pioneering days. Eventually, he recovers, begins to get strong, gets back to, quote, unquote, his old self or, or his energetic self. He was always a man of high energy. There's another, by now, they, they have some other people who've joined the mission there, uh, George and Sarah Boardman. Uh, George dies. His widow is another trooper, and she stays and goes out and, and works with the Corinne people group there that had a large movement movement to God. Um, eventually Judson's all of a sudden, he, things kind of hit him. And when things hit him, he makes, he's a man of action. So one day he's sitting around and he's like, you know, Sarah would be a great wife and we're both here. And so he proposes by letter and uh, she accepts and they're married soon. And they have eight children and they have they have some wonderful times together. I mean, eight children is is great. The missionaries at this point in time have learned that for kids to survive, they had to be sent back to the States. And I think one of the hardest things for me to read as a father is this, this painful parts of the story where like, you have to either stay in Burma and send your child to America to live with a grandparent or an aunt or uncle that they've never met, or Sarah gets sick they've had their eighth somewhere in there she gets sick and one of the things that they would do that was a a cure that would work oftentimes is you would take it you would take a trip at sea a few weeks at sea it's like the air was clean you're away from all the sickness and a lot of times it would heal up and so originally it's like okay sarah's going to go home and she's going to take three of her kids with her there's three kids that are alive two of them are dead three kids that are alive with adoniram he's going to stay there but the closer it gets, the more they realize, like, I don't know if she's going to make the voyage. So he winds up going with her. Brad, they had to leave their three youngest kids in Burma. He farms them out to some other missionaries while he and his wife take three kids and go back to America. Can you wow. Can you imagine? No, that?
0: it's hard to fathom some of the choices they had to make back then. I mean, we... In our time, we deal with just knowing lots of missionary colleagues, and they're dealing with: is this the best situation? Are my kids thriving? What should you do about schooling? And these are really, really hard. I mean, walking yeah. with them through it—it's—it's it's so hard and painful. But that's a whole other level that I, uh, you know, I can't imagine. And it's easy for us to armchair quarterback what someone then should have done, but mm-hmm. just the the circumstances of life were so different. And so it's uh, it's just a remarkable. The I mean, we we can critique the this sort of 19th century missions efforts, but we got nothing on them in terms of willingness to sacrifice and suffer for the work. So I, I just admire that, even though I can't imagine some of these decisions they had to make.
1: Yeah, I can't either. I I am broken thinking about that. They start this joy. Voyage back to America, um, Adoniram had had planned and figured that he would never return to America. He finally does, on the way home, Sarah dies. And so he buries her on an island. So he has one wife buried in Burma, one wife buried on an island on the way home. And he and his three kids land in America. It's been 33 years since he's been home he brought he was working on a he'd kind of finished the bible at this point in time or at least the first first version of it he's working on a on a burmese english dictionary he takes it with him hoping he can continue that work you know while he's home and he really thinks he thinks you know like i've been gone so i mean there's so many people that i knew just like they're not even alive anymore i've been like i'll I'll probably have just this quiet time and I can work on that. And it's really, it's really the opposite. (laughs) He gets back and he's a celebrity, like all these things, every letter he's written home, maybe not everyone, but all these letters have been published and people have talked about what he's doing. And he's like a household name. He's like Billy Graham of his day. Only he's international. Like everybody's heard of Billy Graham and, you know, even non-believers. And so Due to his own health problems, he, he has almost no voice. He's asked to speak all these places, and he kind of does the best he can. There's a couple of, of funny stories here. One of them, he goes and he, he speaks at this church, and everyone comes to hear him. And what does he talk about? He tells them the gospel. And he's leaving, and this person's like, Man, I, I don't really think that's what they wanted to hear. I think they wanted to hear like some of your stories. And he said, Well, I, I told them the best story there is. And the, la- the person's like, wait, well, but you've, you know, you've been all over the world and you have all these experiences from Burma and all these things none of them have ever experienced and all these stories. And he's like, yeah, and they should know that with all these stories that I've experienced, the best story is still the gospel. And I'm not going <laughs> to revolve them with all these or uh, revel them with all these fancy stories. I'm going to tell them the story of God because that's the best story there is. When he's home he meets this uh, lady named Emily and she was a, a budding author and she was a, a woman of faith, but what she was known for writing was kind of trivial novels, you know, entertaining novels, nothing deep. So, and she's like half his age. Maybe she, maybe she's not half his age, but pretty close to half his age. Cause he's up now in his like fifties or sixties and uh, she's like 30 or 20, late twenties or something like that. So, everybody's mad at him uh all the christians are like we can't have our billy graham marrying this trivial novelist and all the writing community is like we can't have this great aspiring novelist marry this missionary and go live in burma but he he doesn't really care and uh, apparently she doesn't either so they get married and they head back to burma Uh, she lives with him there they have some really sweet times there it's not very long There's a note I want to read you. This is actually, I guess, this is in the middle, before he came back the first time. You know, people would ask for advice. The mission movement is continuing to grow. People are continuing to consider this. It says, in 1832, Adoniram responded to an inquiry from the states to give advice to those considering missionary service. So this would be good for us us to tune into, whether it's you and me, Brad, or it's our students that want to go. He says, first, don't be surprised by initial discouragements. At an iron cautioned, you will be met with disappointments and discouragements, which will lead you at first almost to regret that you have embarked in the cause. Beware, therefore, of the reaction you will experience from a combination of all these causes, lest you become disheartened at commencing your work. So he's saying, like, hey, listen, it's gonna be hard.
0: I need to read that at our training, like the opening session of our training. Like, let me give you guys a little preview of some challenges here and what you're gonna to need to overcome.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that would be that would be a good one.
0: Maybe I'll say welcome to welcome to One Link Orientation before I read it. But, you know,
1: (laughs) surely thereafter. (laughs) Surely. Let us prepare you for what is coming. Um, It's also interesting to note in terms of short term missions, they had somebody that came to their work, you know, after he had been there a while. And I think the guy came with the plan that he was only going to stay a few years. And at that time, Adoniram was like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. How can anyone expect to get anything done in a couple of years? Mm -hmm. which I think shows a couple of things of one of just like when you went at that time, most of them went for life. Mm -hmm. And even Sam James, who has a building who was in Vietnam and has a building named after him at the the IMB training center. He said when he was appointed, you had to, you had to be appointed. You had to feel like you were called there for the rest of your life. You know, and for a long time,
0: one link yeah. by a commitment. Commitment, there that's right.
1: And for a long period of time, the the possibility of getting somewhere and back quickly was also not possible. And I think I think the world has changed in a lot of ways that makes it useful now. But it's interesting to note his version of like short term missions is like, if you just give us a couple of years, you might as well not even come. So if you're a college student and you're like, I don't know if I can give six to eight weeks, you can. You can. Ultimately, Iram gets sick. Um, he and Emily have a couple of kids, but he gets sick. They finally decide to send him out on this ship to try to see if if that will help him recover. And he, he dies. His wife, after a year or something, she goes back to the States, uh, and she dies a few years later at the age of 36, just the toll that Burma took on her. Lots of suffering in his life. I've been thinking a lot about suffering recently, um, as one does around Christmas time, we think of suffering. He had thirteen kids, uh, counting stillborn kids. Five of them died before the age of three. And um, he spent seventeen months in prison. You know it's a lot of suffering, and the question is, was it worth it? You know, it took years before his first convert, but I wish my life had his stats. He translated the Bible. You know, he he got about halfway through a Burmese-English dictionary that later went on and was a big help to to future missionaries. At the time of his death, there were over 100 churches, so from zero to 100, over 8,000 believers. Um, there was a Karen people group that had begun to have a movement towards Christ among them. And he, he really helped launch the mission movement that we're a part of today. It was he and the other people that sailed away with him and beginning that excitement that started with college students, I said, "Hey, we're going to do this, and we're willing to suffer."
0: Yeah, interesting legacy thing. Uh, one of our good friends just sent their son to college, and his roommate is a Burmese believer from. I think it's from that Korean people group. there, there were yeah. so many came to faith. and yeah. so that legacy, there's still some reverberations of it.:
1: That's awesome. Well, if you haven't read his book, I I definitely encourage you to pick up a copy. I think there's a torchlighter series. If you have a, if you're alumni and you have a kid, you'd like to to help them read and stir stir this on towards them. But the book I read is to the Golden Shore. It's a it's a nice thick book, but it's a it's a good one. I would definitely put it on your list. And you know, as we think about hitting our hundredth episode, we go back to where it started. I would just encourage you, the listener, me, the speaker, Brad, the speaker listener, and let's give. Let's give everything we have so that God's name can be known among the nations. And the small things that I suffer today are not worth compared to the, not worth anything compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus surpassing worth of making his name known so that those who are in darkness can see the light, those who are under the power of Satan can turn to the power of God.
0: Amen. Well, I appreciate you, uh, taking the time to learn his story and sharing with us James I appreciate your passion for the great commission you you are always challenging me and inspiring me so not only did Adoniram inspire me today but you did as well <laughs> it's fun to however many episodes I didn't do the math 60 some episodes we've done together well I guess some, some of them I wasn't in but that you've done and I've been probably most of them most of them you've been uh, in. it's uh it's a pleasure to work with you
1: you as well I'm glad you launched you and Amy launched the one link podcast and I'm proud to be a part of it.
0: All right. Well, we'll see you all next time on the hundred and first episode of the one link podcast.